Welcome to the podcast for Gateway Baptist Church. You're listening to a message from our Ormo campus. Find us at gatewaybaptist.com.au If you'd like to connect with us as we seek to change lives by following Jesus in our community, our nation and our world. We're starting a brand new series today and it's called Rhythms of Grace. And I know over the next six weeks, a whole lot of us are going to be challenged, encouraged and blessed as we look at some of those things that we have in life that actually serve us uh, to do life well, to flourish the way that God intended for us to flourish and to actually grow deeper in our understanding of who He is and how He's created us to be. I I love that music is a part of our church. Uh, I, I was thinking about it even this morning, just it's this strange thing, music, isn't it? It's like somewhere in the created order, God created this magical thing where notes that blend together create a beautiful sound that just can lead us to the point of emotion, that can bring joy to our life, that can actually overwhelm us with sorrow. There's something so moving and so powerful about music. I love that part of our regular rhythm of church is found in our time of worship when skilled and gifted musicians like the ones on stage today bless us uh, with their gifts and their skills. But we didn't always have you know, the basis of the band that we have. It's taken many, many years to grow. And one of the favourite things that happened for me in church was the day that we found a drummer. Because I don't know about you, I just like the thought of hitting things and it making sense, right? Not people, but things. And I loved it even more when Lauren became our drum, one of our drummers recently. Who, who loves seeing Lauren on the drum? She just smiles and sings and plays. But drummers play a really important part of any band because they keep everybody else together. So Lauren, why don't you give us a little bit of a beat because we're gonna get the band to come in and to join Lauren in a minute. You see the back line of any band, the drums and the bass, create the tempo and the time that makes the whole band work together. See now if we add Naira on the bass into this and Lauren on the keys, it just kind of makes sense, doesn't it? It works together. I don't know what it is, but they're all playing the same things on different instruments. It just works. It, it, what about you? I'm not going to ask you to sing, don't worry, but this feels good, doesn't it? But Jimmy comes in on his guitar. And the melody just builds. And I hear this song and suddenly I feel like we need to add some glorious angelic singers to the mix to really make the whole thing work. So Devin, Kate, why don't you lead us in some worship for a moment? Just enjoy it for a minute. Just enjoy it.
Would you thank our band? My message is entitled, How to Butcher a Worship Song 101. <laughs> it works when everything works together, doesn't it? When, when the rhythm is connected and the tone is solid and everyone is playing to the same beat, there's something about music that feels good in our spirit and our soul that makes sense, it, it brings joy to us. But when it gets out of rhythm, I don't know about you, it doesn't just sound bad, it feels bad. Anyone else just feel that little... It's like fingernails down a chalkboard, isn't it? It's just that physical sense of discord when things get out of time. It's not just a horrible sound. Lauren just was excited about that moment, just hijacking the worship. It's not just a horrible sound, it's a horrible feeling. Let me take that out of the world of music for a moment and just talk about our life because I wonder if right now, some of us, when we think about the rhythm of our life, feel a great sense of discord. There's been a loss of rhythms and even though we can't put words to it, we feel it deep within that things just aren't quite right. I wanna borrow the words of Jesus as paraphrased by Eugene Peterson in the message from Matthew chapter 11, where he says this, are you tired? Man, right now I'm tired. I'll just put it out there, I am tired. My fence fell down a couple of weeks ago and Ben Kemp, who usually sits here and looks just like me, he's been helping me build it and I am not match fit. I was three post holes into digging that thing and my body was aching and I was falling apart. I am tired right now. Are you tired? Are you worn out? Are you burned out on religion? Jesus says this, come to me. Get away with me and you'll recover your life. I'll show you how to take a real rest. Walk with me and work with me. Watch how I do it. Learn the unforced rhythms of grace. I won't lay anything heavy or ill-fitting on you. Keep company with me and you'll learn to live freely and lightly. And that is the invitation of this series. There is a sense of discord in you. If there's a tiredness, a weariness, a sense of getting out of sync with the way that life should be, there's an invitation over these next six weeks for us together to relearn some of the rhythms of grace. We're gonna look at some of the ancient rhythms that God established for our benefit, for our health and for our flourishing. And while many of them seem counterintuitive and countercultural, and many of them we're gonna to have to fight for in our own lives and our own schedules and in our own rhythms. Each one of these is a gift from God that when we learn to exist by its beat, they'll serve us well, they'll help us flourish and they'll bring everything else into unison. Author Chris Webb says this, there is a pattern to our activities. We build structures into our days. We create family traditions and rituals. Often our churches use liturgies. And even though we often rejoice in spontaneity and flexibility, the truth is we like routine. We prefer order to chaos. We live by rhythms. And so today I wanna introduce us to our first rhythm of grace. And it's an interesting one because often when we speak of disciplines or habits or new rhythms, Many of us instantly go, oh, I'm gonna to have to find space in my life to add more things. 
But today's challenge is not actually about addition, it's probably more about subtraction because we're gonna talk about the spiritual rhythm of simplicity. The rhythm of simplicity. I wanna make a statement that for most of us or many of us will ring true to some extent. And it's this, you do not have enough time to do everything that you think you should do, that you could do, or that you decide that you wanna do. Let me say that again. You do not have enough time to do everything that you think you should do, you could do, or you decide that you want to. You know, over the years, many of us have come up with a genius solution to this problem. It's called whinging about how little time we have. Have you ever made the statement, I wish there were eight days in the week, or I wish there were 30 hours in the day? Maybe for you, the wish isn't just about time, maybe for you, it's about resource. Have you ever said, Life would make more sense if I just had a little bit more resource, a little bit more money, a little bit more income, a little bit more of a certain possession. The problem is, my observation of my own life and my observation of many others that I've spoken to about this, is humanity has a habit of filling the gaps when they're created. So I reckon if God gave you an eight day week, you would start complaining about the fact of what you could do if He gave you nine. If He gave you 30 hours in the day, you'd wish for 36. You see it, don't you, when you get a little pay rise or a little income jump and within six months you think, where did the gap go? I was really stoked about that, but we seem to have just found a way intrinsically to spend the extra and still be in the same position we were before we got it. Has anyone else had that feeling or is that just me? Something about five kids that help me spend any extra money that I seem to find in my bank account very, very easily. But often we think the solution is to find more. But all we do with more is we fill it with more and suddenly we feel again right on the edge of ourselves. Sometimes more is not a gift, it's actually a burden. The writer of Ecclesiastes, uh, an ancient document that is one of my favourite Bible books, speaks to this and he speaks about resource. He says this, whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. The sleep of a labourer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. Now he's talking to resource here, but we could apply this to time too, couldn't we? It's The principle is the more you get, sometimes the more anxieties, the more challenges, the more struggles, the more desire for even more starts to crowd into our life. You see, more isn't a gift to us, it is often a burden. And so if the answer isn't more, what is the answer? Jesus actually gives us a different picture because more for many of us just creates greater anxiety in our lives. But Jesus invites us to a different way. He says this in Matthew chapter 6. Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or drink, or about your body and what you will wear. Is it not life more than food and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? This is Jesus' nice way of saying, don't ask me for an extra day or for an extra hour. There's a different rhythm that I wanna invite you to live by. Now, it all sounds wonderful. 
but how do we apply it? Because if I'm really honest and really vulnerable with you today, let me give you a word that I would say describes my life right now. Busy. Anyone else find that when people go, hey, what are you up to? Busy. It's just just my go-to word. Probably because when people come and say, hey, what have you been up to? I don't want to go bludging. It's not really the thing that we want to say. 20 years of gateway. That's been a good ride of relaxation. No, no, no. Busyness is the thing that describes so many of our lives. And I recognise today as I speak to this, that many of us are in different seasons and some of what I'm going to say isn't going to apply to everybody in this season of your life. But I know many of us would describe our life as busy. And busy sometimes is a little bit unavoidable. Married to the beautiful Chrissy, we've got five kids. Thankfully, I tell you, getting a child with a licence is a gift from heaven. But I've still got 378 and a half hours of driving to do to get the other four into a car. So right now that doesn't feel like joy. And my current son that's doing his licence, he's not in here so I can say this, asks me every minute. I'm driving around the corner to pick up milk. Can we go driving, Dad? No, no, not. I just want to get in the car and get the milk. <laughs> We've got a lot of hours left of getting kids to that point. But life's really busy. I work full time. Chrissy is a shift worker at the hospital. Five kids that are involved in everything that they're involved in. We are human taxis right now. I, I, I look at that and I go, I, it's, it's one thing to say, let's simplify things. But how do I simplify it? Because there's some things that I can't actually get out of. It's actually who God's called me to be and what God's called me to do. You see, life is busy. The problem with busyness is there's so many people that are living busy lives, yet unfulfilled lives. See, maybe in the same breath that you tell someone you're busy, you recognise that right now you feel out of control, you feel tired, stressed. No medication seems to help it. And maybe it's worse. Maybe in the midst of your busyness, you're seeing the cracks start to appear in your marriage, in your parenting, in the time that you're giving to pursuing and developing a relationship with God. Maybe the cracks are appearing physically in your health. I mean, it's one thing to live a busy life that's fulfilled, but it's another thing when we feel like we're living to the extent of our margins and yet there's cracks appearing everywhere. How do we address it? Because something's out of whack. See, God in His wisdom decided that you only have 24 hours in a day in which to live the life that He's called you to live. We've already acknowledged that God's not gonna add any hours to do that. So how do we live the ones that He's given us more wisely? In 2006, I've spoken to this before, so sorry for those that have heard me talk to this, but 2006, the Australian Bureau of Statistics uh, conducted what they call the time use survey where they looked at the way that people used their time and they broke it down into four categories. Necessary time. Things like sleeping, eating and personal hygiene. Necessary, can't get away from doing that. You try and not sleep for a couple of days, at some point your body ceases to function. It is necessary. Then they spoke to contracted time. And the things that you do that are actually part of your responsibility and then the roles that you uphold. So things like work or education or caring for children and all of the commuting that happens around that. They spoke to committed time, domestic duties, childcare and doing things proactively for your children, maybe volunteering somewhere. That is contracted or that is committed time. And finally, they spoke to free time. What do you do 
when nothing else is around. Now, I did some quick maths on the time you survey. See, I function best with eight hours sleep. I'll just put that out there right now. Anyone else with me? Anyone else just goes, oh, you lazy person. I function best with eight hours sleep. I probably should say eight and a half hours, but let's just go for eight because that's a gift these days when it gets to eight. I probably would work out that food takes an hour of my day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, the preparation of it, the picking it up from the shops. If I add an hour to personal hygiene, now that might be overstated for some of you, but I like long showers and the only quiet place in our house is the toilet. So I spend a good 25 minutes there in quiet time in the afternoons. But if there's an hour around personal hygiene, let's just kind of round it out at that. That's my necessary time. If I move to contracted time, if I say there's eight hours of my day that's committed to work, and maybe in, in if I look at the rest of my family, that might be education or kids, school, swimming club, whatever else. There's probably an hour of my day on a good day when the M1's not a disaster, which is about as rare as Christmas. There's an hour of commute from Ormo to Mackenzie or wherever we need to go. Some days it takes us half an hour to get two and a half kilometres from our house to the front of Livingston to drop our kids at school. Then when I think about my committed time, doing things around the house, supporting and caring for the family, food prep, washing, cleaning, dealing with pets, you know, fixing things inside and outside the house, that's given an hour to that, an hour to dealing with the needs of my children, an hour to my volunteer work. And then when I think about my free time, there's an hour at the end of the day checking out everybody's Facebook stories and posts or watching something on television. And I would say I should be spending an hour on health and fitness. That's probably debatable. Now I've added all of that up and I've already oversubscribed the hours in my day. That's just doing the things that I should be doing, the things that people would tell you are healthy and regular in life. I haven't added into that yet, investing in my relationship with God or my relationship with Chrissy. I haven't thrown into that any overtime that might come, you know, that work pressure that springs up that you didn't perceive coming when you started the day or mowing the lawn or walking the dog or taking my kids to sport or investing in anything intimate with my wife. See, they're all over and above an already oversubscribed calendar. And everything on that list is good and reasonable. And everything looks like it should be part of our day, yet it doesn't all fit. So what do we end up as? Busy. So the solution to busyness I've found for most of us is we steal time. We steal time. So we don't sleep for eight hours, even though it's good for our health and good for the relationships of those around us when we're functioning as we should. We actually sleep less. So we usually turn up to the next thing that we're meant to do, tired and grumpy and not quite there, but that's an easy place to steal time. Maybe we just decide we'll steal time away from food prep because Uncle Ronald McDonald is a really good chef and it's really quick and easy. So we eat on the run. Maybe we drive faster than we should to get to our next appointment. Maybe we just let the house fall apart and go to ruin. Maybe we skip the time that we should be spending investing into our kids or our marriage. Maybe we skip going to church and investing in our spiritual life. Or maybe we just give our our kids the iPad to entertain them so we don't have to. Guilty as charged before you feel condemned. You know, in the book, uh, The Simple Life, the authors wrote, uh, did some time, surveying many different people and they found this, that 44% of the people they surveyed believe the pace of life they had will cause problems with their health. 
68% said they would change something in their day if they could. And 84% of those surveyed said they had too little time with their spouse. Let me ask you a question. Is this the life you want? Let me ask what I can do, what we can do to address some of the imbalance. Because all I've really tried to do this morning is to engage those of us in this room that feel like right now, the busyness of our life is out of balance with the person we believe God's called us to be. So what can we do? Now, let me be completely honest with you. I'm not here to speak to you to this today as a guru on time management. Something I work hard on, but ironically, the week that I decided to speak on simplicity, my week went completely out of control. I had a day at the Sunshine Coast with a bunch of pastors from other Baptist churches around Queensland. I had to present a session on something that I had very little idea on. And so it was about online digital ministry. So very smartly, I just zoomed in someone that knew what they were talking about and everyone thought I was a guru because I did a digital ministry session using digital ministry. I'm just telling you that because I was very proud of myself. We had a few days at a staff retreat that we do every year where we look to the year ahead and uh, we build into our staff. I had two sermons to write this morning and tonight. We've got our 5pm service tonight. Let me just give it a little... Uh, what do you call it, a little um, promotion for tonight. Uh, we're doing a series on the Ten Commandments and tonight we're talking about you shall not commit adultery and it's an audience of 20 to 25 or like 16 to 25 year olds. So I'm telling all of you, because some of you got kids in that age group. And so tonight I'm gonna talk about a godly and biblical understanding and perspective on sex. So it might be a great place for you to bring your kids tonight because they're actually gonna hear God's intention for them in that area of their life. And uh, it's going to be really awkward for my kids, but they'll be okay. Just pray for them. <laughs> but you know what? Many of us really struggle with sexual discipleship in our families and many of our kids don't actually know what the Bible has to say about it. So we're going to talk about it tonight. So there you go. There's my little promo for 5pm service this afternoon. I had two sermons to write. My fence fell down. So for the last two days, completely unmatched fit. I've been building a fence Last night, we had our local footy awards dinner night and I was asked to MC that. This was not a good week to talk on simplicity and clearing out the calendar. So I'm not here as a poster boy of great time management, but as someone that believes God's given us some principles that can help us not only make choices to simplify and bring simplicity into the rhythm of our life, but also to find fulfilment. So I wanna give you three biblical principles that I think are gonna help you in this. And the first one is this. We all need to understand that we were created from the very beginning with the need for rhythm and rest. We were created by God with the need for rhythm and rest. And we find this in the very first chapter of the Scripture where the Bible tells us the creation of count. And, and, and when it was written down, the creation count was written in a beautiful poetic way and it wasn't done for no reason. It's just not that someone thought, Let's tell this poetically, but if you read the creation account, look at the rhythm of how it's told. There was morning and there was evening. Or there was actually, it's the other way around. There was evening, there was morning, the first day. And God created. There was evening, there was morning on the second day. It's this beautiful poetic picture of how God created. And part of the reason it's given the genre it is, is that from the very beginning, in contrast to every other creation account, the author and God wants us to know that in His creation, there is rhythm and there is order. 
Every other creation account told a story of all the ancient religions told a story of chaos. But the creation account that we have in the Bible tells us a story of order and rhythm. But not only does it do that when it gets to the seventh day of creation, it also builds into the blueprint, a rhythm of rest. God created in seven days, but on one of those days, He didn't do anything, but enjoy what He'd done on the other six. You see, there's a rhythm in creation, but there's also a rhythm of rest in the blueprint for how God created the world and how God created you. This was fed into the life story of God's people, the people of Israel, when He chose them to say, I'm gonna reveal through you who I am. And God said to them, you need to continue to do what I've modelled for you in the creation story, which is find a rhythm of rest. It was called Sabbath. And we're gonna do a whole week on Sabbath. But Sabbath was the reminder that this world operates and spins without your influence on it. That you are not God. He's seated on the throne and He just privileges you with the chance to come and enjoy His creation. And part of the reason that we need to rest is it gives us a perspective on who we are and who God is. Even in the practical application of the law in ancient Israel, they were told every seven years to let the land rest. This was an agricultural people. Their income, their livelihood and their food all came from the land. But the biblical law said on the seventh year, just let it lie fallow. Just let it, no sowing, no reaping, no harvesting, just let it lie fallow. And ancient agricultural methods found that the land needed that year to rest and replenish. See, in the very fabric of creation, was the need for rhythm and rest. So before we can address the busyness of life and simplify, we need to recognise that part of the reason we need to do that is that if we live according to the rhythm that God created us by, we actually flourish in life. The beauty of the creation account is God worked really hard and then He stopped. This isn't actually a message encouraging laziness Work hard, but don't lose the rhythm that comes from actually carving out time in your schedule and in your day to really focus on the things that matter and to find rest because you were created with the need for rhythm and rest. The second principle and the second challenge is this. In life, we're all challenged to actually prioritise between what's good and what's better. The, the, the challenge is most of us look at our calendar and it's filled with good stuff. It's not that I find that. If I look at my calendar and think, well, how do I actually create more space in this? I don't look at anything in my calendar and think, oh, there's some easy wins here. Most of what I do and most of what many of you would look in your calendar and do is good. But what happens when it's so full of good that there's no space to actually exist in the rhythm of rest that God gave us? Maybe for you, the challenge right now is in your workplace or in your career, in your pursuit of vocation. There's new opportunities that are emerging, new possibilities, new ventures that you could consider, but you know that they're gonna be the tipping point. And they're all good things. Maybe for you as a parent, and, and we struggle with this all the time, we wanna give our kids every opportunity under the sun. We wanna make sure that they have every experience they possibly could and they could discover you know, are they musical? Are they sporting? Are they really great at debating? Could they be a future javelin champion at the Olympics? You know, like we, we just, 
explore every opportunity for our kids to the point where they're done and we're done and the things that really matter start to fall off. What does it look like to look at a whole bunch of good stuff? Because none of those things on that list are bad. But ask, what's good and what's better? Maybe our calendar's filled with doing things for other people. Blessing others, serving others, loving on others, caring for others. And it's all good stuff. You see, the challenge never is we look at our things and go, oh, you just rip that, 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 and that. If it was that easy, we wouldn't be preaching this message. But sometimes the fight to simplify is so hard because to make an actual change, we're going to have to give up some things that are good but aren't best. Really fascinating story in the Scripture where Jesus goes to the home of two sisters, Mary and Martha. Many of us know this story. I'll give you a little bit of context of it. Jesus visits their home and uh, Mary, just overwhelmed with Jesus, just goes, sits at his feet and starts to listen to his stories. But Martha's like, people have come to visit. We've, we've got to care for them. We've got to feed them. We've got to clean the house. We've got to make sure everything's sorted. So Jesus is sitting in the lounge room. Mary, this one sister sitting there with Jesus, just kind of hanging out and enjoying some time. And Martha is going crazy behind the scenes to make sure that everyone's looked after, everyone's fed, and that, that the hospitality that was such an important part of life in ancient Israel was just fulfilled so much like it's an important part of life in our culture. And so Martha's running, 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 running. And she starts to look at Mary and thinks, Mary, you are lazy. It's probably a nice way of saying it. These are sisters. I reckon there were some harsher words than that. You are lazy. Look at everything that I have to do to look after everybody that's in our house and you're just sitting there doing nothing and letting me do all the work. I reckon Martha at that point wants Jesus to go, yeah, Mary, if you were actually a good sister, you'd probably be doing something about this. But Jesus says these words and they're very, very confronting. Martha, the Lord answered, you are worried and upset about many things, but few things are needed or indeed only one. Mary has chosen what is better and it will not be taken away from her. Let's just say that Mary has chosen what is what? Better. I want us to notice something in this story. Jesus doesn't rebuke Mary for what she does. But what Mary's doing isn't wrong, okay? It's good. She's caring for a guest. She's making sure everyone's fed. She's making sure that the environment is, uh, sorry, what Martha's doing is good. She's caring for everyone. She's running around. She's going crazy. She's making sure everyone at her, her home is having a good experience. Jesus doesn't rebuke her because what Mar Martha does is good. But he says this, what Mary has chosen is better. And there's a challenge in this message because if we're gonna find simplicity in our lives, some of us are gonna have to stop some things that are good so that we can prioritise some things that are better. Giving your kids the chance to try out every sport under the sun to the point where by Sunday morning they're completely trashed beyond anything. Giving them opportunities, good. But growing them up in a faith community, that's better. Working overtime so that you can get that promotion and get that extra money so that you can finally pay for the extension that you've dreamt of in your house, that's not necessarily bad. It's good. Investing in your marriage and your kids. Eating jam sandwiches instead of caviar, that, that's probably better. 
See, there's a lot of good stuff that fills our calendar, but there's some better priorities that we're called to put in place. Here's the hardest thing. We're great at starting stuff. We're terrible at stopping it. And the greatest challenge for all of us is what we're going to stop so that we can choose in the midst of all that is good, the things that are better. The final thing I want to say is that God actually wants to help you discover or rediscover life, joy and rest. I read this psalm, I read this, this song of David a couple of weeks ago in worship and I want to bring us back here this morning. It's, it's found in the Psalms, but it's also told in 2 Samuel chapter 22. And David says this, sings this, recites this. He reached down from on high and took hold of me, drew me out of deep waters. He rescued me from my powerful enemy, from my foes who were too strong for me. They confronted me in my day of disaster, but the Lord was my support. He brought me out into a spacious place. He rescued me because he delighted in me. Some of us right now feel like David did. Overwhelmed, confronted, out of our depth, just like swimming hard just to keep our chin above the waterline. God wants to take you out of that into a spacious place. Why? Because he delights in you. Hey, the band to come and join me. The first rhythm that we're invited into is the rhythm of simplicity. And the first challenge for all of us is the challenge to stop some things so we can prioritise some better ones. So if you want a practical challenge, you're going to take away if you're a journaler, if you write notes on my sermons, if you think about it occasionally, when you leave this place, here's your practical challenge this week. What do I need to stop? Maybe you need to sit down with your diary. Maybe you need to sit down uh, with your year planner and ask the question of, is everything getting out of whack because I've said yes to too many things? What is it that you can stop? And then the question that goes with that, and I'll say this very carefully because this is not, I'm not saying this counterproductively to everything we've spoken of. What is it you need to start? In other words, what do you need to prioritise in the midst of your life so that some rhythm comes back in? Because maybe the thing you need to start isn't another activity, but it is actually the practice of Sabbath. Maybe the thing you need to start isn't adding more into your day, but is starting your day in a different way. Maybe the thing you need to start is sitting at the table with your kids to have a meal at night because that really matters. As opposed to, you know, sitting in front of your computer, typing with one hand and eating with the other. What is it you need to start? And what is it that you need to stop? In, in the book, The Common Rule, Habits of Purpose in an Age of Distraction, author Justin Whitmell Early speaks to some of the practices that he's chosen to engage as a rhythm of healthy life. And I was really challenged by these because they're a little bit different to some of the ones that some of us have spoken about. But, but he looks at some of the things that he recognises are rhythms in his life that really matter. They're actually the things that he has identified as the better. Let me give you a couple of them just to spark your mind into some creative thinking this week. He's got some daily habits. One of his daily habits is this. Every day it's Scripture before the phone. 
Scripture before the phone. In other words, for I wake up, grab my phone, check the work emails, check Facebook, find out what's going on, allow the anxiety to build inside of me because of all that's ahead and all that's happening in the world and all that I need to process. He says, before I go to my phone, I go to God's Word and allow that to become the foundation of my day. Second habit, daily habit. Turns his phone off for an hour. An hour every day where the phone goes off. Where it doesn't become the rule of life for him in that moment. Every week, every day, He says, one of my meals is to be shared with others because God allows us to gather around tables and to build ourselves and to build others when we commune around food. So He makes sure that every day, one of His meals is around a table with somebody else. Not eating in His car, not eating at the table by Himself. It's sitting with His family or sitting with a friend and sharing a meal. Every week, He's determined to spend one hour of conversation with a friend. One hour that's just dedicated to building relationship, to encouraging, to challenging, and to conversing with a friend. Every week, He's determined that He's gonna fast for 24 hours from something. Some weeks it's food, some weeks it's technology, some weeks it's something else. Maybe, you know, get creative. And He said, and every week I'm gonna choose to prioritise my Sabbath. What is it you need to stop and what is it you need to start? Because maybe the things you need to start are actually the things that are gonna create the space in your life to get the rhythm back in so you can live a life of balance and simplicity. I, I as I do most Sundays, stare at a very full wardrobe, recognising that right now there's only about three shirts that fit me that are appropriate for Sundays. It's a very small slither. But, but a lot of clothes in there and compared to some, not many. But I have a lot of clothes. I reckon if I wore every shirt in my wardrobe one day, I'd get about five months out of it. There's maybe not that long. I should count that one day. There's a lot of clothes. But I, I figure, like you don't find a lot of men's clothes in op shops and I've worked out why. I get something and it starts out as good, wear it to church. And then after that, it goes to wear it out to dinner with friends. And then it goes to wear it around the house. And then it goes to wear it fishing. And then it goes to oil rag. And then all of a sudden it disappears. I'm like, Chrissy, have you seen that green shirt of mine? Like the one that was in five pieces, I threw it out. Why'd you throw it out? still had use. So I hold on to all of my clothes. I've got stuff that I've had for 30 years sitting in my cupboard. And often I look at it and think, is it time to get rid of that shirt? I think no, because one day I'll fit into that shirt again and I'll wear it proudly because I wore that when I was in grade 12 and it looked great on me back then. And fashion does a big cycle. And even though I've only worn it twice and I was 82 kilos last time I wore that, one day I'll stand in front of the church with that shirt that I bought from Target Dubbo in 1986, loud and proud. I look at my wardrobe, it's so cluttered. And I recognise though that there's only a small segment that I ever access. Everything else is there because I don't want to throw it out or I hold on to hope that one day it'll be useful again. I wonder if some of our lives are like my wardrobe. So chock full of stuff that we've added at some point, we just haven't known how to stop or get rid of. And the courageous thing we need to do 
to build some rhythm back into our story is to come before God and say, God, what is it that I have to give up? I have to let go and I have to take out so you can create some space for me to do life the way you intended. Can we stand together this morning? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I believe in this series, you're gonna call us back to some sacred rhythms. Lord, some that are well-worn paths. We look at what it means to commune with you in prayer and reading the Word. Others are gonna be new. Maybe for some of us today, we've never thought that simplicity might be a great rhythm that you call us to. Father, I wonder what the clutter is in all of our lives that you just want to put your finger on right now and say, it's good, but I want to lead you to something that's better. So Father God, I pray this week for the courage for all of us just to have a radical examination of that that we do, that that fills our lives, that that makes us overwhelmed, that that builds anxiety because it's too much so that we may return to a healthy rhythm in life, in relationships, in our faith. And Jesus, it starts with us clearing some of the clutter so you've got room to do a new thing in us. Give us the courage, I pray in Jesus' name. We hope you've been blessed by this message. We are a growing family and we would love to see you at one of our Sunday services because everyone who comes through our doors is welcome. You can find out more about our community and locations at gatewaybaptist.com.au. 